Shalom, everybody. We can say shalom in church, right? Uh, let me teach you another expression. To say good morning, by the way, thank you for bearing with me because my voice has gone out the last couple days, uh, and it's, it's coming back. So if I go in and out, uh, thank you for bearing with me. Uh, but if you want to say good morning in Hebrew, it is boker tov. Try it. It sounds like broken toe, but it's boker tov. Good morning. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with you this morning and uh, uh, to share this message. Um, how many here are, how many are Gentiles? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. It's kind of how it works. Uh, I'm with you. I'm a Gentile as well. And I hope you picked up in that, in that video that as Gentiles, we have a calling from God to the Jewish people. We have a calling to God, to Israel. God has God has blessed the nations. He has blessed the Gentiles with salvation through this gospel message that came through a Jewish man, Jesus, or his Hebrew name, Yeshua. And that message, when we heard it, uh, it has the, it's the power of God for salvation. And so God has graciously grafted us as Gentiles among God's people, Israel, the Jewish people, and he has grafted us into the covenant promises that he made to his chosen. And with that, God has given us a commission. And as Paul says in Romans 11, that salvation has come to us, has come to the Gentiles with a purpose. And that purpose is to give that message back to the original messengers, to provoke Israel, the Jewish people, to jealousy, that they would see something in our life and our relationship with God through the Jewish Messiah, and that they would want what we have, that they would see this vibrant relationship with the Lord by the Holy Spirit through faith in Yeshua, and that they would say, I want that. That, that was promised to us. The Messiah was promised to us, and I want to know more about that. And that's our, that's our calling, and that's our mission. Um, I am, I'm a very unlikely person to be standing up here speaking with you this morning. Um, I was raised in a, in a secular home in Los Angeles in a little town called Norwalk. And I knew no Christians. I had nothing to do with religion. Um, but when I was 26 years old, God brought me to the end of myself and I cried out, there's got to be a God out there. But who are you? Which one? How do we talk to you? Well, who's the one true God? Who's the real God? And how do I know you? And he powerfully led me to hear the good news of salvation in the Messiah through a homeless man who shared Jesus with me, who shared the gospel with me. And when I heard that message and I believed, everything changed and I was forgiven. This burden of sin was lifted off my shoulders. I started weeping and my life has never been the same. And I know many here, God willing, all of us have uh, experience that forgiveness of our sins and a clean start and the promise of eternal life through the Messiah. So not only did God save me, and I'm this Gentile guy, I was in the military uh, shortly after that, <clears throat> uh, but then I took a trip to Israel. I was deployed to Iraq, serving in the Navy, and halfway through my deployment, uh, the Navy was going to send me somewhere in the world, anywhere I wanted to go for 15 days, free flight anywhere. 
I was single. Most people go home, back to the United States, they visit their family. Uh, I was single. I didn't have any reason to go back home. And I had a free flight. So where do I want to go for 15 days? At that time, I was a young, uh, young Christian, and I was hungry for the Word of God and hungry to know more. And I thought, I want to go to, I want to, go to the Holy Land. I want to go to Israel. And so I left Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, I went to Israel. And that trip forever changed my life because God showed me while I was there that, wait a minute, Jesus was Jewish. The faith that I follow is Jewish. The book that I read is Jewish. Everything about my faith is Jewish, except for me. And God, from that point, just kept pouring out his heart to restore his people, the Jewish people, back to himself through the prophecies and God's promises to restore Israel in the end days through the Gentiles, which is primarily the church. Um, it became clear after some time, <clears throat> excuse me, after some time that the Navy was just a job, but my, call, my calling was elsewhere, and it was to minister, give my life to uh, bringing this message of salvation to the, Jew, to the Jewish people. So <clears throat> that's a little bit about myself. Um, you see there on the screen, if you would like to know more about our ministry and to stay connected, if you are interested in hosting Israelis, um, you can use that URL or QR code on the screen. There's also a sign-up sheet in the back, and there are these blue brochures that you can... Um, um, fill that out and stay connected with us. Uh, I've been in Jewish ministry for about 10 years. Uh, I started in New York in Brooklyn. I spent about eight years, eight years there with my family. And we planted a Messianic Jewish congregation. We did street outreach. We tried all kinds of ways to engage our Jewish neighbors with the good news. But one of the most powerful things we did and most fruitful things we did is we simply opened our heart and opened our home to these young Israelis who come to the United States for six months and they travel. And we welcomed them in our home to give them a free place to stay, to just thank them because our Messiah and our scriptures came through the Jewish people. And we just wanted to give back and say thank you. And as the Lord opened opportunities, it's a phenomenal way to build a relationship and share the Lord with our Jewish friends. So if you're interested in hosting yourself or you know of others, uh, please get in touch, use that QR code, or use the sign-up sheet. <clears throat> Sorry. And I would love to um, keep in touch that way. Take a drink here. If you would pray with me, let's, uh, let's get into the word together. Avinu Sheva Shemayim, our Father in heaven, we gather together as your people, as Echad, as one in Messiah, Jew and Gentile. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have opened our eyes to the beauty uh, and the salvation provided through your Son, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. And Lord, we are hungry. Um, we are hungry to dig into the Jewish roots of our faith, to understand what you have grafted us into. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit 
that you would give us understanding, uh, that you would grow us in our discipleship to become more and more like your son, and that you would give us a burden, uh, a burden for the lost, to bring the gospel to the Jew first and equally to the Gentile. So our hearts are opened, our minds are open, Lord. And would you use my feeble attempts in my voice to bring your message this morning to the praise of your glory and grace. Amen. So I work with an organization that was founded by a Hungarian rabbi named Leopold Kohn. We were founded in 1894, and um, we've been bringing the, this message uh, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile for over 100 and, what is it, 27 years. And at Chosen People, our, miss, our mission is to reach the Jewish people for Jesus, Yeshua, and to help others do the same, to help Christians in their relationship with their Jewish friends. And one of the ways we do that is through teaching on God's calendar, the so-called Jewish holidays. Have you heard that expression, the Jewish holidays or the Feasts of Israel? Understanding the Jewish holidays can help us as Christians to build bridges with our Jewish neighbors and to share the good news with them and to show them that the faith we follow is Jewish. The man we follow is Jewish. And it's my belief that these biblical holidays that we're going to get into, we're going to do a big survey. We're not going to go in depth. We're just going to get an overview. And as we look at these biblical holidays, it's my belief that these are not only historical, they're not only looking back to what God did in the past, but they're also prophetic and they're looking ahead to what he's going to do in the future. They look back to what God did in the past and they look forward to what he is going to do in the future. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. If anyone asks you where God's calendar is in the Bible, it's Leviticus chapter 23. And as you're turning there, the title of the message this morning is Dates with God. Dates with God. Dates with God. And I want us to begin by considering the idea that God himself, the creator of the universe, that he, he has his own calendar. Maybe you've never thought about that, that God has a calendar with special dates on it, his moedim, his appointed times, that he has set apart to meet with us, to meet with his people. If you glance down there in your Bible, you see all the dates there. You see Passover beginning in verse 4, first fruits in verse 9, and so on. Now, many refer to these dates as the feasts of Israel, the feasts of Israel. But I think that phrase creates an unfortunate barrier to many believers today who might say, What do the feasts of Israel have to do with me? I'm not Jewish. Well, that's a good question. Well, the Bible, the Bible never calls them the feasts of Israel. And when we refer to them that way, we automatically 
exclude ourselves as Gentiles from these special dates on God's calendar, and we rob ourselves of special times of fellowship with God, we rob ourselves of opportunities to be with him and to learn from him and to worship him on these dates. See, I believe it's the father's heart to spend time with his children on these holy days. Now, I'm not saying that the feasts are mandatory, that we're being disobedient if we don't keep them. Or I'm not saying that we're, we're better Christians, we're better believers if we do keep them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we have an opportunity. We have an invitation from God on these dates. Now, before we jump in, I'd like us to consider for just a moment the idea of holidays in general. Now, if you think about it, most holidays that we observe today, they're man-made, right? Sometime long ago, men got together and they decided to create a holiday for some reason that we now observe. So let's take one, for example, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving. I hope you do too. I love to gather with family, to share a meal, and it's focused on giving thanks. It's a wonderful man-made holiday that was created with a good purpose. And it was to draw our attention to giving thanks to God for providing and for saving and for uh, blessing this nation. And God has blessed this country, and we're so thankful. But that was a a man-made holiday. But the holidays we're going to look at this morning were not created by man. They were created by God, and that's what makes them so unique, that God is the one who decided to create his own calendar with dates set aside to meet with us. Isn't that cool to think about? That God has fixed dates on his calendar to meet with us? That these dates are are his idea, they're not man's? It's, It's unique. So let's dig in and um, learn about God's dates that are good news as he wants to meet with us as people. Now, if I wanted, I could have easily called this message the gospel in the feasts because that's what they are. They're the good news of the Messiah, and they point to him. And through these dates on his calendar, God expresses his sovereign plans and purposes to redeem the world through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. But we have, to, we have to step back in order to see it. It's easy to miss the forest from the trees. And sometimes the, the little mini narratives of our holiday traditions, they crowd out the, the major meta-narrative that God is wanting to speak. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a step back and we're going to take in the big picture and listen to what our creator is speaking to us through his calendar. So that was a long intro, but let's get into uh, Leviticus 23, the first two verses. And the Lord, you see they're all in caps. That's his unique name, yod heh vav as he was revealed to Israel. 
uh, we would call it, we would say Adonai in Jewish circles. And the Lord Adonai spoke to Moshe, to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. So just in these two verses, we have a question. I have a question for you. Whose feasts are they? Are they the feasts of Israel, according to this verse? No, that's right. They're God's feasts. They're the feasts of Adonai. They're the feasts of the Lord. And that point is repeated twice for, for emphasis. So these dates didn't originate in the mind of God, uh, in the mind of man. They weren't created by some church council or by Jewish elders. They originated in the mind of God. He ordained them. They belong to him. And that leads me to think, if they belong to God, if they are his, he can invite anyone into these feast tastes with himself, can he not? So I just want to propose to you, dear friends, that these dates, they're not just for Israel. They are for Israel, but they're not just for Israel. They're for you and me as well, as followers of the Messiah, if we still choose to take him up on the offer. And one of these feast dates we'll celebrate uh, after service, the Passover. So maybe you've, maybe you've never thought about that before. You've always, okay, I know the Feast of Israel, these Jewish holidays, that's for the Jewish people. But wait a minute. Maybe God has something for us as well. Now, <clears throat> please note that these appointments, they're fixed in time. God gives the specific days of the calendar, the lunar Jewish calendar. So they're fixed in, in time. Passover is always on the 14th of the month of Nisan. Trumpets is always the first of Tishrei. Now, they appear to move around on our calendar, but they don't move around on the Jewish calendar. They're fixed. So let's take some time to survey these dates that God has set apart for his people, and let's hear what he might have to say to us through them. So you see on the, on the screen there a calendar overview of these dates. And taking a bird's eye look at God's calendar, we see that there are three dates, three dates in the spring, and there are three dates in the fall. And if you glance down at your Bible, you'll see all, all of them there in Leviticus 23. And if you have titles, uh, you'll also see the weekly date, the Sabbath, in verse 3. So if you take the Sabbath, the Sabbath date that happens every week, and then you add the three in the spring and the three of the fall, we're going to do a little math here. How many do you end up with? One weekly plus three spring plus three fall is... Seven. That makes a total of seven dates. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh and final date on God's calendar. And we're going to draw out the significance of the number seven later. Now also, as we look at the progression of the holidays in this chapter, and if we zoom out and think about these holidays big picture, 
what we'll discover is that these dates lay out the gospel. It lays out God's prophetic plan to redeem the world through his son. But I have to admit, if you're just reading the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it's harder to see. You need the whole counsel of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament, in order to see it most fully. So looking back at the first coming of the Messiah, we believe that he came already and that he's coming again, right? In Judaism, they believe in two messiahs. We believe in one messiah coming twice. They believe in two messiahs, the messiah son of David, the conquering king, and the messiah son of Joseph, the suffering one. But we believe one messiah coming twice. And looking back at his first coming, let me ask a couple questions. First question, what day on the calendar did Yeshua, Jesus, did, what day did he die? It was the Passover. You see that in verses 5 to 8. And this is the first annual date in the spring. It's the beginning of God's plan of salvation, that redemptive narrative that Pastor was talking about. We see that there in our Bible. So question, do you think it was coincidence that Jesus died on the very day of Passover? I don't think so. God could have chosen any day on the calendar to have the Lamb of God slain for our sins, but he chose the Passover, and there was a reason for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, or Shaul is his Hebrew name, he refers to Jesus as Christ or Messiah, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. Now, that sounds kind of strange in our modern day, but it, it resonates to his Jewish audience that Messiah is our Passover, sacrificed for us. See, we're all familiar with the Passover and how, how the Israelites, back in Egypt, they were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And that Passover pointed to the final Lamb of God and his blood that saves. It pointed to Jesus, the Messiah. So God set the Passover appointment on his calendar, and he brought it to fulfillment in the death of Yeshua on the very day of Passover. So we're in the first coming spring dates. First one was Passover. Three days later comes the next date on God's calendar, beginning in verse 9, and that's the holiday of first fruits. And on this date... Uh, a portion of the harvest, the Jewish people were an agricultural society and they were working, working in the fields. And on this date, a portion of the harvest was collected and it was offered to God as a first fruits offering. And that first fruits portion was accepted by God as if the whole harvest had come in. Now, prophetically, three days after Jesus died, he rose from the dead on this very holiday. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus the Messiah became the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too we will be raised like him if we believe. 
he is the first fruits and we are the ones who follow in his likeness. So was it coincidence that the Messiah was raised on first fruits the very day? I don't think so. Finally, 50 days later, we come to the final spring date on God's calendar, as you see beginning in verse 15. And this holiday in Hebrew is called Shavuot, meaning weeks. Uh, We're counting weeks, we're counting days from Passover to this holiday. In Greek, it's called Pentecost, meaning 50, because it takes place 50 days after Passover. Now, in traditional Judaism, this holiday is celebrated as the day that God gave Israel the Torah, the scriptures at Mount Sinai, the commandments. So Jewish people gather on Shavuot weeks, Pentecost. And they remember, this is the day that God gave us the Torah. Now, let's look prophetically at the life of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, we read that God gave the Holy Spirit on this holiday, 50 days after Jesus died. Again, on the very day, God fulfilled this holiday by taking the gift of Torah inwardly, writing the Torah on our hearts through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that was the act of God that was promised to come with the new covenant foretold by Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 31. And it was fulfilled through Jesus the Messiah. So that's a big overview of the spring feasts. The death of Jesus on Passover inaugurated the new covenants. And 50 days later on the feast of Shavuot, the Holy Spirit was given. Again, do you think that's coincidence? I don't think so. So we see here that all the spring feasts were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. God put the dates on the calendar, preparing us for his great salvation, declaring his love for us in the Messiah. Jesus died for our sins on Passover. He was raised for our justification on first fruits, and he sent the Holy Spirit on Shavuot to empower us to carry on the mission. God set the appointments, and he showed up right on time. Now, there's a, a book I brought in the back that lays this all out. So, I know we, how much do we retain of lectures and sermons, like a small percentage? Uh, If you you can't remember or retain all this, there's a book in the back called Israel's Holy Days in Type and Prophecy. So take a look at that. Uh, But that is an overview of the spring. So what remains that we'll focus on with the rest of our time are the fall feasts. And as we dig into the fall feasts, I want to start by pointing out the fact that the spring dates were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming literally on the very days prescribed. And after the spring comes the long summer harvest period, working the fields, which I believe we've been experiencing for the last 2,000 years since the Messiah returned to glory. 
working the harvest, working the fields. And after the long summer harvest comes uh, the fall. But this summertime, this harvest time, some refer to this period as the church age, as the gospel's going out to all the nations. And after this is complete, then comes the fall feasts. Now, if Jesus fulfilled the spring feasts in his first coming, literally on the very day of those feasts, what could that mean for the fall feasts and his return? Doesn't it seem reasonable to think that the fall feasts will be fulfilled in the same way, literally on the very days of the feasts? Now, I say that and I get nervous because we don't want to set dates, right? People have done this. It's been a bad witness, a bad testimony. When's the Lord going to return? No man knows the day or the hour that the Lord will turn, return, not even the sun, right? So I think we should be flexible. We should be open-minded. But it's hard to escape the implications of the little, literal fulfillment at Jesus' first coming and how the second coming might look. Now, there were a lot of people surprised at how things uh, rolled out in the first coming. So I tend to hold things with an open hand and think there'll probably be some surprises in how things come in the second coming. So let's dig into the fall dates and let's see what they're all about. And I'll tip my hat at the start and say that I believe these dates have prophetic significance for both Israel, the Jewish people, and for the church. God is doing something with the Jewish people, Israel, and he's doing something with the church prophetically. And I believe the fall dates will be fulfilled in the second coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> so in Judaism today, the fall feasts are known as the high holy days. It's the holiest time of the year for, the Jew for our Jewish neighbors. And this is a time of repentance and a time of cleansing as the worshiper prepares to appear before his creator who is both king and judge. And the goal of the fall feasts or the high holy days is to get your name written in the book of life by the end of these days. The rabbis say that God's judgment is rendered on trumpets, it's sealed on the day of atonement, and it's delivered on tabernacles. So let's survey these three dates, beginning with trumpets. And we'll see that there in verses 20, 23, beginning in verse 23. Now all it says in verses 23 to 25 about the Feast of Trumpets is to blow trumpets on this day. A shofar, uh, I brought my shofar with me, a shofar is blown a hundred times in the synagogue on this day, and we blow it as a call to attention that God, our King, is coming, that our Creator King is coming. And we also eat bread or challah in the shape of a, it's round in the shape of a crown. Maybe you've seen it. It's round in the shape of a crown, declaring that God is our King. There is only one God and that He's coming. He's coming again. So the trumpet blast is a call to repentance. It's calling us to take a spiritual inventory of our hearts in preparation 
for the coming of our King? Now, my, my voice is in and out, but I want to give it a shot. Do you want to hear what it sounds like? Pray for me. If I can do it. Here we go. Now there's there's four um, shofar blast sound. There's a regular sound. There's three short sounds. There's a, a, a repetitive seven or more blasts, and then there's one long one called Takia Gedola, the great shofar blast. And I believe that's the sound we're waiting to hear for the coming of the Messiah. Friends, I hear that sound and I get excited because the Lord is coming and we're waiting for that sound that announces his return. And I lived in Brooklyn in a very Orthodox Jewish community where they, we blow this sound and I pray, Lord, pour out your spirit upon your people. Reveal the Messiah to them. Reveal the gospel to them. Cause them to repent and turn and to accept the one who was promised, the one who came and loves them. And it, it, it burdens my heart because Jesus is seen as the, as the Christian God. He's the Gentile. He's the Catholic God. But no, he's the Messiah of Israel. He rightly belongs to the Jewish people. And I desire for them to, to embrace him as their own, to see that he is the one. He is God's faithfulness to us. That begins with the sound of the trumpet. Trumpets is all about repentance, about preparing for our king. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul speaks of the rapture of the church. When the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And we as believers will be caught up in the clouds with the resurrected saints to meet the Lord in the air. This is the prophetic significance of trumpets for believers today. We're waiting for that trumpet sound. But I believe at the same time, that blast is a call to Israel, the Jewish people, to repent, for the Jewish people to turn back to God in faith. The people of the book have strayed from the book, just like our hearts stray from what we know is right and true. That's trumpets. And the second date in the fall is the Day of Atonement, as you see in verse 26. And this is the day during temple times when the sins of the people were forgiven by the blood of another. The blood of a goat was sacrificed in their place for their sins. And it's all laid out in Leviticus 16. 
the high priest would cast lots for these two goats, one to be sacrificed as a sin offering to the Lord and the other to be a scapegoat to make atonement upon it and to let it go into the wilderness. And if we think about that prophetically, in the same way that the high priest laid his hands on the head of the scapegoat and confessed the sins of Israel over it, so we lay our hands on Jesus, Yeshua, and we confess our sins over him, and we transfer our sins to him. He is our scapegoat. He is our atonement. He is our substitute, the once for all sacrifice for sin. There's meaning in these holidays for Israel and the, and the Gentiles. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made Yeshua, Jesus, God made him who knew no sin. Jesus is the only man who's ever lived who has never sinned, who lived a perfect life, who loved, who had compassion, who got angry but without sin. He had a righteous anger. He is the only man to ever live perfect, without spot, without blemish. He knew no sin. But God made him to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Friends, that's good news. Amen? Jesus died as our substitute, paying for our sins. There's nothing we can do to atone for our sins by our own merit. If we've committed one sin, we fall short of the glory of God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's light. And there is no darkness in him. But God has provided a way, paid for our sins and given us his righteousness. He's given us the perfect record of Jesus having never sinned. And he has credited to that to us by faith, simply by faith. We repent. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to live a new life. I want to live for you. I believe. And we put our faith not in, okay, let me live as good as I can now. No. We put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he laid down his life, the perfect one, and he shed his perfect blood. And God looks at that and he looks at us as if we never sinned. You are forgiven. You are mine. Go and sin no more. Therefore, because of what the Messiah has done for us, we can enjoy relationship with the Holy God. And as I mentioned in the beginning, our Jewish friends, our neighbors, they're looking to us, and they want to see that relationship with God. They want to, they want to have that as well. And may we, may we demonstrate that, shine that light, and provoke them to their own God and Messiah. So atonement is all about reconciliation. It's about reconciliation with our king. Now, what about Israel? What does this holiday mean for them? Well, I think the Day of Atonement speaks of Israel's affliction of soul through the great tribulation to come. There's coming a time, sadly, the Jewish people have been hurt and suffered and persecuted um, throughout the ages. When they've, been, uh, when they've been wealthy, they're persecuted. When they've been poor, they've been persecuted. They've been persecuted, sadly, by Christians. They've been persecuted by non-Christians. 
they've suffered so much. And there's coming a day that the great tribulation, they're going to be afflicted of soul. And at the end, Israel will finally look upon the one who was pierced, according to the prophet Zechariah. They're going to recognize Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah. And they're going to repent and believe. And I'm praying for that day. The day of atonement foreshadows Israel's national salvation. The day when all Israel will be saved, as Paul writes about in Romans 11. God is not done with, for, with Israel. God loves Israel. And he has a future and a plan for the Jewish people. Now, the third and final date in the fall is tabernacles. You see there, beginning in verse 33. Tabernacles is all about rejoicing. And on this holiday, the people were commanded, Leviticus 23, verse 40, the people were commanded to take palm branches. We're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday in churches soon, right? They were to take palm branches and to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. And they were to do this by dwelling in booths. Why? Verse 43 tells us, that your generations may know that when I made the children of Israel dwell in booze, uh, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So here God connects the final date on his calendar, tabernacles, with the first date on his calendar, Passover, when he brought them out of Egypt. And I thought about that, and I think the lesson for us is this that we can have fellowship with God and rejoice in his presence on tabernacles only because the Passover lamb has been slain for us. We cannot have fellowship and tabernacle and rejoice with God without the shedding of blood, without the Passover and receiving that by faith. So the theme of tabernacles is rejoicing, rejoicing that we have been cleansed through the blood of the lamb and that now God can tabernacle with his people. And on this feast day, uh, we do this in our home. Uh, My wife's a Jewish believer in Jesus or a Messianic Jew. And we keep the holidays, we keep keep the Shabbat and the traditions, and uh, we make it all about Jesus because it's about him. So we, we build booths and tabernacles on this feast day. You build a temporary booth. Why do you do that? We're declaring that life is temporary and that this rickety shack that's going to fall down is temporary. And it's pointing us to something more permanent, stable, and lasting to come in the new Jerusalem when God will again dwell with his people In Revelation chapter 21, now we're at the end of the New Testament, the end of the prophetic scriptures, and the end of the story in Revelation 21. The apostle John describes a vision of the future, and he says this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. If you're staying for the Passover, you're going to hear this again. 
this repetition through scripture of God's prophetic redemptive plan that we're sinners, that we're astray from God, that we need to repent, we need to put our faith and trust in him, that he brings salvation and now he is our God and we are his people. We see that here in Tabernacles. It's the seventh and final holiday on God's calendar. And it's a seven-day feast that takes place in the seventh month. Lots of sevens there. Seven in the Bible is a picture of, com of completion. So tabernacles is the completion of all things. It's the culmination of the harvest and all things prophetic. And it anticipates the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of the Messiah on earth, Messiah Jesus is going to come back, and he's not going to come to New York. He's not going to come to Los Angeles. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And he's going to reign for a thousand years, and the theme of this tabernacling with his people again is rejoicing. The prophet Zechariah chapter 14 speaks of this future reign of Messiah from Jerusalem and the celebration of tabernacles. Zechariah 14 says this. This is after the nations are going to come against Israel. Our enemies are going to try, to try to wipe Israel off the map. And they're going to be miraculously saved by the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, they shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. These are Gentiles. Tabernacles points to the future restoration of all things, including the restoration of Israel to her king, Jesus. So the fall feasts, they, they, they point prophetically to this future at the second coming of the Messiah. So... There's a little image, just kind of an overview of what God is doing through his calendar. So the fall feasts have significance for both believers and for Israel. To summarize, at the sound of the trumpet, the church will be raptured. Simultaneously, that trumpet sound is God's call to repent. God's call to Israel to repent and to prepare for her king. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and the church is raptured, as Paul talks about, God will again turn his attention to Israel and fulfill his promises to her. So if we choose to celebrate these holidays on the Feast of Trumpets, the first one in the fall, we can pray for Israel to awaken from her slumber, and we can pray for our own readiness to meet the Lord in the air. And at the trumpet, Israel will repent and look on him who was pierced and mourn and believe in Jesus as her Messiah. And the promise is that a fountain of cleansing will be opened for their sin, Zechariah 13. This is Israel's national day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, we can consider Jesus our atonement and the great price he paid for our sins. And we can also use this time to pray for Israel to experience the same and to be cleansed as a people, as a nation. 
Finally, once Israel has been cleansed through faith in the Messiah, he will return to tabernacle with his people. King Jesus, the Messiah, will rule and reign from a th for a thousand years from the restored Jewish nation, fulfilling all the promises made to her. And finally, on the Feast of Tabernacles, we can rejoice that our sins have been forgiven and that we have peace with God through the blood of the Lamb. And we can also use this time to pray for the glorious future of Israel when she will enjoy the same in the millennial kingdom to come. And in the meantime, we're to be getting the message out. We're to be loving all people and sharing the good news with all people, to the Jew first and equally to the Gentile. Amen? So those, my friends, is a big overview of the dates of Israel, the dates with God. Um, and if you are staying for the Passover, we'll, we'll dig into that one to together. And I look forward to that. But if you would bow with me, let's pray as we cl close. Abba, we hear you're calling out to us in love and urgency through your calendar to prepare for that trumpet sound, to make the most of our days, to preach the gospel to all, all who will hear. And concerning the times and seasons, we know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Help us, O Lord, to be ready and grant us boldness and compassion to proclaim the good news in love to our friends and family while there's still time. And Lord, we pray, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim, we pray for the day when all Israel will be saved. And we pray for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua Messiah is Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.